On this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we recap the Terps' 4-0 week with wins over VCU, Radford, Coastal Carolina, and Ball State, pick a Terp of the week, and play another round of fair or foul. Plus, Connor Newcomb sits down with Hunter Parsons, who had the best start of his career on Sunday against Ball State, and we preview the upcoming week with a game against Delaware and three games against Bryant. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Here's your host, Justin Galanti. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 48 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. As you heard, I'm Justin Galanti, joined once again by Connor Newcomb. And Connor, last week we were sitting here and uh, the mood wasn't great. And now I think it's as good as it could be with the Terps coming off a 4-0 week, a win Wednesday down in Richmond against VCU, and then they swept the weekend at the Johnny Gardner Law Group Tournament down in Conway, South Carolina, wins over Radford, Coastal Carolina, and Ball State. And I think really everything went as good as it could have for the Terps this week. Yeah, five-game winning streak now for Maryland. You include that final game against Army a couple weekends ago, and yeah, you said it best. I mean, that's about as good a week you can have. Don't lose any of the games. And especially we talked about on the last episode of the podcast last week about how Maryland playing Radford, Coastal Carolina, and Ball State. We're thinking, hey, even if you lose to Coastal Carolina, who maybe could be a top 10 team in the country this year, at the very least is a top 25 team in the country. You know, if you get the wins over Radford and Ball State, things are looking up for the weekend. But they got the big win holding on after giving up three runs in the ninth in that one. And Pretty much a perfect weekend going down to South Carolina and now coming back home for four games this week. Yeah, and it started on Wednesday with the 2-0 win, win over VCU. And the story out of that game was midweek starter Mark DeLuya, a freshman from the state of Illinois, got his first career start. And he went four scoreless, struck out seven. He was outstanding. And Maryland's offense was not great that day, but they won the game 2-0. They got good relief work from Elliott Zollner, Sean Fisher, Kevin Biondic, and John Murphy. And all around, it was just a fantastic effort on the mound and a really positive sign for Maryland coming off the Sunday win against Army. Yeah, it was something they really needed because that weekend against Army and the midweek against William & Mary a couple weeks ago, the Terps' offense just wasn't getting much done. And they continued to struggle against VCU in that midweek game, but what they needed was a good start and a good day from the bullpen to really hold down another team, and that's what happened. The Terps really didn't hit the ball, as you said, but two runs was enough, a shutout put up by DeLuya and then the bullpen behind him, and that's kind of what you need sometimes when you're in offensive funk. You need a game to go your way, a 2-1, to one, a 2 to nothing, a 3-1 to one win like that where you can kind of get your confidence back, and then, of course, over the weekend, the offense started to hit again. Yeah, on Friday, it started with a win against Radford. Taylor Bloom gave Maryland a really good start, went eight innings, and the game was low scoring, and then the Terps broke it open late. Nick Dunn hit another home run. Randy Bednar hit a home run, and the Terps w ended up winning the game pretty easily, and that was a good start to the weekend. But once again, Taylor Bloom, the Friday night starter for the Terps, gave them exceptional length in his first three starts. He's now, now gone seven innings, seven innings, and eight innings. So 22 innings in his first three starts, that's the most since Jake Stinnett a few years ago before the Mike Shawarin era. So Taylor Bloom's been everything Maryland could have asked for and more so far in this 7-4 and four start. Yeah, it was great. Again, eight innings, as you said, that's a season high for him. And only 103 pitches it took to get through those eight innings, so pretty efficient there. And I think the other good thing about that was in the eighth inning, he came in, he'd allow just the two runs, and he gave up 
two quick early runs in that eighth inning, was able to settle down after that and retire the next three batters to get through eight, and obviously made it easy for the Maryland bullpen just one inning, as well as the Terps scoring nine runs over the final two innings made it pretty easy as well. But Bloom was great, did what he had to do. The three earned runs over eight innings is a great start, especially six Ks and just the one walk. He did he did hit a couple batters, but just the one base on balls. So an incredible start from Bloom, and then Tyler Bloom followed up the next day. Yeah, Bloom was good on Saturday in what was a 7-6 win for Maryland over Coastal Carolina, who's actually now ranked – uh, they were ranked after the week ended. But Blome was solid over six innings for Maryland, battled against a really good coastal team. The Terps scored seven more runs after 11 on Friday, so the offense continued to be good. But Blome was really good. The game got wacky at the end. Coastal Carolina hit a three-run home run in the ninth inning to make it 7-6, and then the game ended on a strikeout and then a catcher's interference on a throw to second base, which was one of the weirdest games weirdest ways I've ever seen to end a baseball game. But regardless of all that, this was by far the best win Maryland's had this year based on quality of opponent and location of game. And it might end up being the best win uh, they have all year. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But this was a statement, I think, from the Terps. It was a fight-it-out, clawed-out kind of win. I mean, Blome was very solid. The seven Ks over six innings, giving up the two runs. He Walked only three batters, and then the Terps went to Sean Fisher. He got a couple outs and gave up a base runner, and then Elliott Zoner came in. He had some trouble there coming in in the seventh inning. Couldn't even record an out, but John Murphy came in and kind of did his job again, got through that seventh, got through the eighth, and then things got a little interesting in the ninth. Kevin Biondic had to come in there. He got a lot of help from Justin Morris behind the dish, and you know the batter at the plate as well, kind of leaning into Morris for the catcher's interference to end the game. As you said, a very, very interesting way to end it, but either way, the Terps you know, that's a kind of a tough way to end up getting a win in a ball game after you give up three runs, I believe, before they recorded an out in that ninth inning. It was already went from seven to three to seven to six on the three run homer. So good job by Biondic to settle down after giving up the home run to the first batter he faced. He came in with the two on and no outs and settle down and get the three outs and get a win over a top 25 team. Then on Sunday, Maryland was due for a game where they would just blow somebody out, and that's what they did on Sunday against Ball State, a 13-1 to win. And I think the story was obviously Kevin Bionda came one short of tying the program record for RBIs in a game with eight. And then the story on the mound was Hunter Parsons, who tied a career high with seven scoreless innings pitched. The strikeout numbers were there as well, a career high seven punchouts. And all in all, this was just a feel-good great win for Maryland. Yeah, obviously talking to Hunter for the po podcast, he was very excited about how his start went. He felt a lot of confidence, and he even said himself that was his best start of his career. The seven strikeouts and the big one, just the one walk. Even last Sunday against Army, when we kind of started to see Hunter Parsons turn the corner, he got through the four and two-thirds with the three runs and gave the Terps a chance to win. Even in that one, he walked five and hit a batter and only struck out one, but things Flipped the other way against Ball State on Sunday. The seven innings, the one walk, the seven Ks, and, of course, no runs. He allowed just four hits. I mean, everything was working. Eleven ground outs in that game, just two fly outs. He was getting that two-seam movement he have, has on his fastball to work very, very effectively, getting a lot of ground balls, working in some double plays, too, to get himself out of some innings. But Hunter Parsons was spectacular. Kevin Biondic, of course, was spectacular at the plate, and the Terps just kind of continued to hit throughout that game. It was really four crooked innings for the Terps in that one, so – they didn't really let up after they got a run in any of those innings. They kept hitting and pulled away with an easy victory. Yeah, and I think Kevin Biondic certainly got it going with the bat right now. He's been great on the mound, but something that sometimes goes unnoticed is his defense at first base, and I 
don't think I've ever seen anyone impact a game defensively, especially at first base at the college level, the way Kevin Biontic is right now. Yeah, he made that diving play. I believe that was Saturday. He made the diving play down the right field line to save at least a run on that one in the corner. But Kevin Biontic, I mean, he's got such a good glove. We've kind of known that from Biontic since he's been in College Park. You know, he could play third, he could play first. You might stick him out there in the outfield a little bit, but he can kind of play everywhere and scoop it everywhere he plays. But now that the bat's coming on and now that he's pitching, I mean, you just see how much better the defense is. And that play on Saturday was an incredible catch down the line with a couple of runners on base. And, you know, first base isn't really the position you look at where your best defenders are. You see him in center, you see him at shortstop. But Kevin Biondic might be the best defensive player the Terps have, and he saved so many outs over there at first. So it was a 4-0 week for Maryland, as Connor said. Now five consecutive wins dating back to last Sunday against Army. The pitching has been excellent, four runs or less in seven of the last eight games, and Maryland is now 7-4 and four going into this week. But off last week, we have to do what we always do, pick a Terp of the week. Mine is going to be Kevin Biondic. The guy hit 500 for the four games. He pitched three times Wednesday Friday and Saturday scoreless outings on Wednesday and Friday got the save against Coastal on Saturday and as we said played just excellent defense at first base uh, so the senior Kevin Biondic is my trip of the week yeah and he was also completely snubbed from Big Ten player of the week this week so have a little gripe with that one but that's probably the number one choice is Kevin Biondic I mean he had a career day Sunday did things on the mound did things in the field as you said but Probably other than that, I mean, I'd have to go with Hunter Parsons as my pick if we're going to switch it up a little bit from Kevin Biondic. I mean, we talked about it, the seven innings, the seven strikeouts, the one walk in his win on Sunday, and he was just phenomenal. And you hope for Hunter Parsons that means he's turning the corner, putting last year behind him, which was a very rough year for the right-hander, and he can be a solid part of a Terps rotation. Because if Hunter Parsons is pitching well on Sundays – it's going to be very hard to beat the Terps in a three-game series. Absolutely, and if you can stack up the four-person rotation of Bloom on Fridays, Bloom on Saturdays, Parsons Sundays, and Mark DeLuya on Wednesdays now, I know this four-game stretch was as ideal as it could be, but it, it makes you start to think that when this offense turns around, and it seems to have, uh, starting with the three games this weekend in South Carolina, you just wonder about how good Maryland could be. Yeah, and we'll get like a another really good look at it this week with the game against Delaware being pushed back to Thursday because of rain. You'll get to see the Terps four starters pitch four days in a row, so we really get a good look at it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday about what this rotation has become and a very good chance to get four more wins this week, a Delaware team that Terps have seen a lot, but a team the Terps really have a good chance to beat at home. And then a Bryant team who we'll talk about a little later. They're 2-7. and seven. They've played a pretty tough schedule, but another team the Terps would have a chance to sweep and continue this winning streak. So now it's time for our favorite game, fair or foul. We have five propositions for us this week. And the first one is Hunter Parsons gave Maryland its best start of the year. And your two choices, I think, for this are – Taylor Bloom start on opening night against Tennessee, seven innings, six hits, no runs, nine strikeouts, or Hunter Parsons start that we've just talked about against Ball State uh, this past Sunday. Um, I am going to say that's fair, actually. The best start, looking right at the numbers, is probably the Hunter Parsons start. No runs over seven innings, the seven strikeouts, but you know that's just above maybe the Bloom start. And I also think... 
it's the best start kind of for Parsons because Bloom comes in as the Friday starter and you're looking for those big starts with him. Parsons came in with a lot of questions and he really answered a lot of those questions on Sunday despite a difference in opponent, Ball State to Tennessee. He answered a lot of questions and that's why I kind of put that just a notch above Bloom's start, but not to take anything away from what Bloom did in that opening day game. Yeah, I'm going to say foul statement. I think watching the two starts, Parsons was more dominant, but I think Tennessee is clearly a better team than Ball State, and pitching at Tennessee on opening night versus a a neutral site against Ball State, I'm going to have to go with Bloom as the better start. But I do think uh, this start from Hunter was the more important start for Maryland because, as you said, if Hunter can be this good, that's going to take Maryland, uh, I think, to its ceiling for the season. Number two here on Fair Foul, the Coastal Carolina win on Saturday will be the best win Maryland has this year. I think, you know, we're getting closer into too close to call territory, but I think that's going to be fair, and that's, to be honest, that's nothing against the Terps, really. It's just kind of looking at the Big Ten schedule. I mean, right now, if you look at Baseball America's rankings that they put out on Monday after the weekend, you have Coastal Carolina ranked 24th, and then the next best opponent that Maryland will get, they'll see North Carolina, the number 13 team, and they'll see Indiana, the number 18 team. Now, it's going to be a very tough road midweek game for the Terps against UNC. Now, maybe if you're looking at those rankings, I think the Terps do have a good chance to pick up some wins against Indiana, but overall, the way Coastal has played this season, I think they're probably a top 15 team in the country. So I think when it's all said and done, Coastal Carolina might be the top team in those rankings that Maryland really has a good chance to beat. So I think this might be a fair statement. I'm going to say foul or too close to call. I mean, we don't know what games Maryland is going to win, but there are certainly plenty of chances to pick up good wins like you have a three-game road series against a ranked East Carolina team. You have that midweek at North Carolina. Stetson's going to be here in a couple weeks. That team figures to be ranked very soon. They only have one loss on the season, and Indiana's a really good team that Maryland's going to play uh, on the road at the end of the season. So the way I kind of look at it is there are a lot of opportunities for Maryland to pick up a big win. Now, the fact that they only played Coastal once makes you look at it and say, hey, they, you know, they beat Coastal one out of one times where – as let's say the Indiana series, if they go one and two, you still beat Indiana once, but you lost twice. So it's kind of unfair to look at it that way. Regardless, I just think it's a great win for Maryland, but it's a little unquantifiable to say right now uh, through 11 games, it's going to be the best win of the season. Statement number three for fair or foul. Maryland had a rough week with two weeks ago with a loss at William and Mary and losing two of three at home to Army. But the question is, did this 4-0 week erase the 1-3 week that preceded it? I'm going to say that is still foul. We'll have to see really the midweek against William & Mary. It's a midweek game. It was a slip-up in the midweek. You played them one time and lost. It, it happens to so many good teams, games like that, especially on the road. But when you look at that Army series, the Terps coming back to Bob Turtlesmith Stadium where they were 20-3 and last season and losing their first two there, losing two of their first – Three, obviously, they're getting game three of that series against Army. I'm saying the statement's foul because that is still going to show up on their resume come tournament time. You know, you hope the Terps keep winning, and they're not a bubble team this season. They're strongly into the NCAA tournament. You're hoping they win the Big Ten tournament, and they're automatically into the NCAA tournament. 
But, you know, if they're anywhere around that bubble area this season, those two losses at home against Army. Now, this Army team is looking solid, a chance to win the Patriot League. If that happened, that would definitely help out the Terps. But it's still going to be those two home losses to Army that they're not going to go away on the Terps' resume. So although this helps Maryland get them back over 500, they're playing a lot better baseball, those two losses are still going to loom at the end of the season. I think it's kind of a fair statement just based on the sheer numbers of the fact that Maryland's RPI essentially cut in half from the mid-100s to now the mid-50s area after last week. So I think they're right back in the spot they need to be. And a win at VCU, a win at Coastal, I think can kind of play off the two losses at home against Army, and you did win a game there. So, I mean, this is all not going to matter, as you said, if Maryland goes on to keep winning and winning games. But for now, at least from a momentum perspective and a perception perspective, I think this week kind of makes you forget about what happened two weeks ago. Statement number four, Maryland has found its midweek starter in Mark DeLuya. I'll go first on this one. I think the answer is fair. Mark DeLuya looked absolutely outstanding Excuse me, against VCU in his first career start. The confidence and the rhythm that he was pitching with was fantastic. Pitching coach Corey Muscara loved it. And as the season goes on, they'll be able to extend DeLuya a little bit more in these midweek games. And this is just going to be huge for the Terps if Mark can pitch anywhere near this well, that they don't need to be staffing games every Tuesday or Wednesday or when you have these double midweeks that can be really tough. So this could be one of the biggest storylines of the year for Maryland if DeLuya can continue to pitch this way. And from what I have seen in his three outings, I don't see any reason why he cannot. Yeah, I think it's fair because of all those reasons he pitched so well against VCU. The Terps got the big 2 nothing win to kind of keep the winning streak going and then obviously went on into the weekend and got three more. But I think the other thing is the Terps, you know, through all of last season and continuing into this year, were looking for somebody to step up into that midweek role. And it didn't have to be somebody having a Taylor Bloom-esque start. Nobody had to go eight innings in the midweek and strike out nine and give up nothing. They just had to get them through four or five innings keep the score low, and get it over to the bullpen and hope the Terps offense can win a game. And DeLuya did plenty of that, as you said, got through the four and two-thirds. He didn't give up a run in that start. So as you said, he'll get extended out a little bit. And really what he needed to do is just step up and show that he could give a solid start in a midweek game, and the Terps would throw the confidence at him. And as you said, Coach Corey Muscara has got the confidence in him as well now to throw him back out there in the midweek again. So I think it's a fair statement that at least for the time being, unless something would go wrong, the Terps have their midweek starter. I think at least there's no question for now, like, who's going to start the midweek games. We, we can't, I guess, predict how good Mark DeLuya will be. But last year, every week, we were trying to make guesses as to who would start midweek games. And we got off the weekend. The game was supposed to be Tuesday against Delaware. It's going to end up being Thursday, but there's no doubt in anyone's mind. Everyone knew Mark DeLuya was going to start the game. Final proposition for fair or foul. So when Maryland got down to South Carolina, they were staying on, on Myrtle Beach, right on the beach, actually, on Thursday. Instead of having practice, Rob Vaughn had the team play a wiffle ball game. Post-wiffle ball game, Maryland went 3-0 and and averaged more than 10 runs a game. So... Did the wiffle ball game turn around Maryland's offense? Uh, you know, Justin, I don't know if I have the best look into this. Only seeing like a little bit of video and some pictures, I didn't really get the full experience of the wiffle ball game. I mean, obviously you were right there with them on the beach, so you have a lot better perspective on the wiffle ball game. But 
I know at least, you know, if you're playing wiffle ball and you're hitting some bombs out there on the beach, it's probably going to give you a little bit more confidence to step up at the plate. Now, I don't know if this wiffle ball game turned around the season. I think what turned around the season is Kevin Bionic not wanting to go to the bench every time he gets to the plate and ending up on base essentially every single time. And guys up and down that lineup starting to hit again as well. But you know what? The wiffle ball game, it obviously didn't hurt. The Terps went 3-0 and over the weekend, so... I'm going to say the statement's foul to say that a wiffle ball game is going to change the whole season, but it surely didn't hurt. I'm going to say fair because why not? Baseball is a superstitious game. Players are very superstitious. So you know what? If post-wiffle ball game, the team's scoring 10 runs a game, why can't we just say the wiffle ball game turned things around? The funny thing is actually that for the most part, the pitchers hit much better than the batters in the wiffle ball game. Uh, Billy Phillips, I think, had the farthest ball hit, but... Why not? Let's say it. Maryland offense turned around because of the wiffle, wiffle ball game. We'll see if it uh, keeps up this week. Now, as we've talked about, one of the stars from the weekend was Hunter Parsons with his seven scoreless innings against Ball State on Sunday. And Connor had a chance to talk with Hunter about that performance and his ride at Maryland over the last three years. So here's that chat. 0-2. Grounded to short. Three hops for Lee. He fields, throws to first in time, and Hunter Parsons has tied a career high with seven scoreless innings. And here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we welcome in Terps right-handed pitcher Hunter Parsons coming off his best start of the season on Sunday. Hunter, thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you for having me. And first of all, let's start with Sunday, obviously. What so far has been your best outing of the season on Sunday against Ball State? Seven innings, four hits, no runs, a career-high seven strikeouts. Obviously, the offense blew up as well, and you guys 13-1 to win. What was really working for you on Sunday in the big victory? Uh, I think mainly it was my fastball command um, against Army. I really struggled with it, uh, really finding consistent release point. I was cutting it a lot, but uh, Sunday I really had feel for it. I was able to throw it in on righties, and they had a heavy dose of righties in the lineup, so it worked out really well with the game plan. And then that was coming off a start last Sunday against Army where you kind of were able to build, build off of a relief appearance. You weren't able to get through five innings, but obviously put the Terps in a good spot to win, salvage game three of that series. How have you kind of built up through the season? Obviously, the Tennessee start at the beginning of the year wasn't what you wanted, but you had that good relief appearance against William & Mary, and it seems every appearance has gotten better and better throughout the season. Yeah, um, I've just really been, you know, working on my mindset with things. Um, I had a pretty good preseason, and then, you know, you go into Tennessee, and first start of the year, jitters are going a little bit, and, you know, sometimes in baseball you just get hit around, and that's what happened there. Um, I pitched a little tentatively. My tempo wasn't as great, so when we got to the William & Mary appearance, uh, Coach Moose came up to me, he's like, your tempo needs to be better, and you need to throw each pitch with conviction. So starting there, I was like, all right, new mindset. Like, I just want to get the ball and go, and uh, every pitch is with my best intent. And so since then, you know, I think the results have been a lot better. And brand-new pitching coach Corey Muscaric coming over from St. John's. He really has preached mindset to all the Terps pitchers, and has that kind of been the thing he's instilled in you? How has he really helped you throughout this season? Uh, I remember the very first day I met him, I was moving back into College Park this summer, and I went to Looney's with my parents, and he came up to me. I'd never met the guy before. I never talked to him on the phone. He just comes up to me. He goes, I know last year sucked, but this year you're going to be a dude. And so, like, right from then, I just – it was nice to have someone who came in and was just already so confident in me, um, already displaying confidence. And so he's just been preaching that all year is have confidence in yourself. you got to see it to believe it. Um, so we do a lot of stuff with visualization, 
a lot of mental training, like headspace, and I think it's just been a big help to not only me, but the whole pitching staff. And that obviously has been the kind of the story of your season. Last year was not the year you wanted, obviously, in 2016, coming off of a very solid freshman campaign with the Terps. But kind of going into this year from last year, it's been such a dramatic change, especially looking at your start on Sunday against Ball State. You know, how much did the summer help you up in the Cape Cod League? How much did just work out over the summer, or even just the mindset, all of that coming together with Corey Muscara helping out as well? Um, well, starting with the summer, I mean, baseball, you got to have a short-term memory. So I really I went up to the Cape just thinking, you know what, this spring happened. There's nothing I can do about it. I just have to, you know, learn, learn what happened there, learn my mistakes. I have to go up this summer, and I just got to compete for – for the team, and so, you know, my first outing there, I went up, gave up four runs in an inning, and then after that, had some few good appearances, and it was just trying to get better each and every day, and then this fall, working with Moose, so many different things thrown at us at once at the pitching staff, and so many things I just bought into with ability, mindset, just all these different things, um, just continued to compile and kind of snowball into today, um, Sunday, with my best start, you know, all of it just kind of compiled together and formed into one unit. And now this year, you're kind of one of the veterans on the staff, obviously in the rotation. Taylor Bloom is kind of the veteran guy at the top as a senior, but besides that, you're one of the few juniors on the staff, a lot of sophomores, a lot of freshmen, especially in the bullpen. How have you kind of helped those guys figure it out? There's some guys coming in as freshmen who are getting right on the mound, some guys who are sophomores, didn't really pitch much last year, but are now getting a big chance in the pen this year. Um, you know, I think it's just been – a lot of moose um you know he's just instilled confidence in each and every pitcher i don't think there's a pitcher on the staff that's not really confident in their stuff and not ready to get up on the mound and you know kind of just throw it at the hitter and say here if you want to try and hit go ahead um so i think that's been the biggest thing and the freshmen have really dove into what moose has been teaching us talking to us about um guys like sean fisher grant burleson mark delulia doing a great job just hopping right in there and throwing strikes and getting out. It's been awesome. And you mentioned Burleson and Sean Fisher, both of those guys also coming from Parkside High School, as you did. How, you know, they kind of knew you coming into Maryland. How did you kind of help their transition, maybe not just on the baseball field, but just into the University of Maryland? Uh, you know, I've been hanging out with them a lot. You know, we've been good friends since high school. Um, I consider them, you know, like, kind of like my little brothers. So uh, whether it's off the field, on the field, I'm usually hanging out with them, talking with them, joking around with them. And, you know, they ask questions, I'll, I'll answer them. You know, I just try to bend the big brother and kind of keep them under my wings. And um, any questions they have, yeah, they just have come to me and I've tried to help them the best I could. And it's kind of been a quick transition for both those guys, especially Fisher, who's leading the bullpen in appearances right now. He's coming six times. Burleson's only got a couple appearances, but has yet to allow an earned run. So the bullpen is kind of coming together. We thought at the beginning of the season, hey, maybe this is the biggest question for Maryland baseball this year is the bullpen. But... It seemed to be pretty solid. One of those guys who's kind of come out of the weeds as a great bullpen pitcher has been teammate Kevin Biondic, who is now playing. I mean, he's lighting the world on fire both ways, especially over the weekend. How did you kind of see his development as a pitcher coming along? Because we know he could play defense and he can handle the bat a little bit, but what did kind of the guys on the team see as he was developing into a two-way player? Um, you know, I've, I've played catch with him a lot last year, and he he'd throw the knuckleball to me. I'm like, dude, this thing's kind of gross. He's like, yeah, I think I could be a pitcher. And we just joke around about that. And then this summer I see, you know, he threw like 20 innings or something like that. I'm like, oh, wow, you might actually be able to pitch. And then this fall he comes in, first appearance, he's like pumping 89, 91, and everyone's just sitting there like, wow, this kid can actually pitch. So, I mean, he's 
another guy just been working a lot with Moose, working on his stuff. And I mean, I think his biggest asset is he's just the toughest competitor that I've ever played with. Um, it doesn't matter what goes wrong, what goes right. He's he's the toughest kid I know. And have the pitchers, maybe you or the pitchers of a whole, do you guys help him at all? I mean, I know he's got a lot of confidence out there, but it's still kind of new at this thing. Um, no, I mean, we leave it all to him and Moose. Um, other than that, you know, he just goes out there and throws the crap out of the ball, to be honest. And like I said, he's the he's the toughest kid on the team. So Chicago kid just going out there and giving his all on each and every pitch. So... Coach Moose, going back to him a little bit, he's kind of helped with the mindset, helped with the pitching, but a lot of stuff that he did at St. John's last year kind of went viral in the bullpen. They'd kind of be dancing around in the bullpen, a lot of stuff going on down there. How has he kind of maybe loosened up the bullpen a little bit down there? I mean, I know you came out of the pen against William & Mary, but you're back. You know, you held that starting rotation spot for the first three weeks of the season. Of course, that's going to continue for you after such a great start Sunday. But how has he kind of kept things loose with the pitchers? Because, you know, he seems like he's doing well with the pitching staff, but he's kind of a very eccentric guy, it seems. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a ball of, ball of fun. Um, you know, from the very first day, he, it was kind of quiet out there. He goes, does anyone have a speaker? We need some music out here to play. And so we bring out a speaker, and he's like, put on some Rick Ross. And right then, we're all just like, are you sure? Like Rick Ross? And so, I mean, that's just kind of him. He just he likes to have fun. He loves the game. Has has a lot of passion for it. And, you know, it translates well with all our pitchers. We, you know, we all we all love this game, and that's the reason we're still playing it. So to have a guy so passionate to get out there each and every day and work with us has just been awesome. And, of course, everybody kind of in a new role in the coaching staff this year, including Rob Vaughn, who's in his first season as the head coach. How is his transition, do you think, going with the team? And, you know, was he very confident, you think, coming into day one, taking over for John Sheff, who he kind of sat under for a couple of years as the hitting coach? Uh, yeah, I'd say he was extremely confident and certainly ready to, uh, to take on that head coaching job. Um, he's the youngest guy in Power 5 Conference, youngest head coach, and you know, I think what he's done a great job is, is uh, you know, he spent four or five years as the hitting coach. And, you know, his, like he would tell us this, um, as a hitting coach, he doesn't spend a lot of time with the pitchers. So he didn't know a lot of us, didn't know, like, how we thought, what we liked or anything. So this fall, he really, he spent a lot of time just getting to know the pitching staff, getting to know what we do, how we operate. And I think that was the biggest thing for him coming into the head coaching job is being able to take the pitchers and the hitters and combine them into one team of 35 guys. So I think that was definitely the biggest thing. And it seems like all those 35 guys coming coming together right now. Obviously a good start at Tennessee, then a little four-game losing streak, but now you guys have won five in a row, kind of pulling it all together this weekend, beating three good teams and what I think is one of the best teams in the country, Coastal Carolina. What's the mood around the team coming off such a great weekend down there now you guys get to come back home? Uh, you know, it's... The mood's really good. I mean, five-game winning streak, you know, that's something to be proud of. So all the guys are happy. We're, we love going out there and playing with each other, competing with each other. Uh, I don't know if you can hear it from up in the stands, but uh, the the dugout just has a lot of fun, you know, movie quotes, SpongeBob quotes going around. It's just, it's just a really fun time, really fun group of guys to be around, and we just love going and competing, and now the results are going to show with us. And is there a guy down there in the dugout? I know Pat Heisel had a lot of that going on last year. He's obviously graduated. However, he's joined us in the booth a couple times already this year, and we'll do it a little bit more. So we'll see him at the Bob, but not in the dugout. Is there one guy down there who's kind of leading it again, or is this a pack mentality? Um, 
I would say for the most part it's a pack mentality, but if I had to choose one guy, I would say probably Taylor Bloom, uh, a guy, or him, or Kevin Biondic. One of him, either either of those two can really get the dugout laughing at any point in the game, which is which is always awesome. That's interesting because I talked to Pat this summer and I asked him that question, who's going to take over, and he said Bloom and Biondic, so I guess he predicted correctly. So one more thing, back to you on the mound. Obviously, you're going to get another start Sunday against Bryant right here in College Park. You know, what are you looking to build off of from Sunday? It seems like, especially in the last two starts, a lot of ground balls for you in those two starts. You got 11 ground outs, just two fly outs on Sunday. Is that a lot of the fastball movement working for you? And is that something you're trying to build on as the season goes on? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one of the biggest problems in Tennessee was my fastball didn't have the movement and it was kind of flattening out and you know, they were kind of just crushing it. So what I've been really hammering on in my bullpen's catch play is really being able to sink the ball, put it where I want it, get the fastball command back. And then um, one inning, I don't know what inning it was on Sunday, I started to lose the fastball command a little bit and then started throwing the change up in the slider instead. So really just trying to keep all three pitches, being able to throw them for strikes and with consistency is just what I've been trying to grow off of. Well, Hunter, thanks for joining us and taking some time out of your day to come on the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. Our thanks to Hunter Parsons for joining us here on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. And now it's time to preview the upcoming week for Maryland. They get a few days off before a midweek game on Thursday against Delaware. This game was supposed to be on Tuesday, but rain, as always, in College Park pushed that back. So now it's going to be four days with four games and five games in six days for Maryland. And, Connor, that's really going to challenge this pitching staff. I mean, yeah, you know, we talked about it a little earlier. I talked about how we're going to get to see Maryland's four starters kind of four days in a row. It's good right now that the Terps kind of have the three weekend guys and the midweek guys set. But as you said, the bullpen is going to be challenged. We're going to see John Murphy more than once. We're going to see Kevin Biondic more than once. We might see Sean Fisher in every game at the rate that he's pitching right now. So you're going to see some guys come out of the bullpen. We might see a little more of Grant Burleson or some other guys out there in the pen. Mike Vasturia, who haven't maybe pitched as much as kind of Fisher and beyond it who have been the workhorses but we're gonna see a lot of the bullpen and it's really again gonna be the job of those four starters especially bloom and bloom on friday and saturday to get deep into these games that they've been doing to kind of give the bullpen a little bit of a rest so delaware comes in five and four three and oh at home but just two and four on the road and they really haven't played anyone yet, so it's hard to quantify what that 5-4 and four record really means. Last year, the Blue Hens went 34-23, and 23, won the CAA tournament, got swept down uh, at the Lubbock Regional that was hosted by Texas Tech. These teams did not meet last year. Delaware swept two games from Maryland in 2016. In 2015, Maryland swept two from Delaware. And this team has been great on the mound and Terrible at the plate, to be honest. A 233 team batting average, a 2.76 team ERA for a group that was preseason voted to finish second in the conference. And I think the main issue offensively, Connor, for Delaware is that of their four players that got named to preseason all CAA teams, three of them are hitting under 200. Nick Patton, the preseason CAA player of the year, is well under 200, and that's where Delaware is struggling. Yeah, it's interesting. It's been kind of some different guys who have stepped up. They got a couple of guys hitting over 400 in their lineup, but besides that, as you said, the guys who were kind of supposed to be the dudes for the Blue Hens this year to hit in the middle of that lineup are 
struggling to start the season, obviously only through nine games. But Kyle Baker, the junior outfielder, he's really been the guy in the lineup so far. He's got 12 RBIs, 487 on-base percentage, and he's hitting over 450. So they're kind of relying on him right now to get the hits. But as you said, these guys who were getting all CAA honors at the beginning of the season, they're going to have to step up if Delaware wants to come in and, first of all, have a great season in the CAA again, but second of all, have a chance to beat the Terps on Thursday. Now on the mound for Delaware will be Matt Hornich, a left-handed senior who's been good in his two relief appearances this year, has a career 6.85 ERA, but this is the first midweek game of the season for Delaware. Through the first three weeks, they've only played Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So this is their first shot at throwing somebody out for the midweek, which will be interesting. The Terps, though, do kind of have a history of struggling against left-hand pitching. Yeah, and Hornich, he did make six starts last season. He had a 5.71 ERA, as you said. He's appeared out of the bullpen twice so far this season in nine games. But you'd hope the Terps, who, you know, they got some lefties in the lineup, but the big hitters in the Terps lineup, Jankarski, Costas, those guys are big right-handed hitters. But we kind of talked about this, I think, on the first podcast, how Maryland's offense, a lot of the success might be determined by how the lefties, Nick Dunn and Taylor Wright, and Justin Morris as well, can hit off of opposing left-handed pitchers. So the Terps will get another shot to do that on Thursday. So we'll see how they do with that. But as you said, the first midweek for Delaware, the first start for Hornish this season. So we'll see how far he can get stretched out. He's gone five and a third in two appearances, so hasn't just been like a one-inning relief guy so far this season. So we'll see what he can bring. He's kind of the senior on this staff, maybe not the leader because he's not pitching on the weekends, but he's got a lot of experience. And for Maryland, it's going to be the freshman Mark DeLuya coming off his great start in the midweek last week against VCU. And frankly, I'm just super excited to see Mark pitch again. Yeah, he can. Uh, he has another chance to build off of that start last week against VCU, see if they can get him through five or six innings because obviously he came in here to have a chance to compete for a starting spot for the Terps in the midweek. You know, we heard Rob Vaughn say before the season started that if he had to pick someone about a week before the season was set to kick off, it was going to be Mark DeLuya as the midweek starter. Obviously, the plans kind of went awry a little bit. Hunter Parsons went only an inning in that first Sunday start. DeLuya had to come in and eat up almost four innings, so – the Terps did not really have Deluia for that first midweek game, but able to throw him out there against VCU and things went well. And now hopefully we'll see him build off of that against Delaware. And if he can work into you know the fifth or the sixth inning of this game on Thursday, it'll make it a lot easier for a Maryland bullpen that's got to work four days in a row. Then over the weekend, Maryland will host the Bryant Bulldogs, something they seemingly do every year now. Maryland swept Bryant last year. Uh, the Bulldogs come in two wins and seven losses but you really can't read anything from that because six of the seven losses are on the road against Arizona and Auburn, who are both really, really good teams. They also lost to Army last Friday, who Maryland lost 2-2. They beat Boston College and beat Niagara, so like, there's nothing really surprising that Bryant has done this year. But you still kind of think this is uh, a series that Maryland should do what they did last year against the Bulldogs. Yeah, exactly. The Terps have a good chance, as I said, to sweep this series. Now, as you talked about, I mean, you can't really start a season much tougher than going to Tucson and then going to Auburn for six games, and they lost all six of them. Now, to be fair, not many of them were very close. That final game against Auburn was 3-1. to one. The first game against Arizona, Arizona was 4 nothing. But other than that, Arizona and Auburn put some big offensive numbers up on this Bryant pitching staff. And the way the Terps are hitting right now, especially coming back from Conway, South Carolina, and how they hit over the weekend down there, this should be a good matchup for the Terps offense against the Bryant pitchers. That'll start with Steve Thietke on the mound, the left-handed pitcher, on Friday night, who... 
he's been okay this season in three starts of 5.27 ERA, but it kind of gets worse as you go on for that Bryant rotation over the weekend. Yeah, and Bryant's a young team offensively. They only have one senior who really sees any time, Mickey Gasper. He was on uh, the Brewster Whitecaps team with Marty Costas and Nick Dunn this summer, so a little bit of a connection there. But the biggest loss out of those first six games of the season for Bryant was the best player on the team, Jimmy Titus, a sophomore, got hurt in the second game of the season. He's out for the year, so he'll finish the year with only six at-bats, and that's going to be a huge blow for this Bryant team that has struggled offensively, at least to start the season, outside of Tyler Pano, uh, a junior who's hitting 421 with three homers and nine RBIs, which all lead the team. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say. Tyler Pano's trying to kind of pick up the slack for them they also have a redshirt freshman out there now Ryan Ward playing in the outfield he's driven in five runs hitting 342 but Pano's trying to be the guy who's trying to step in really for Titus there and anchor this Bryant offense but it's been a struggle obviously at two and seven and the pitching hasn't been much help at all either so as I said a good chance for the Terps to try and jump on these starters get into the bullpen and have a Really good shot to take three wins from the Bulldogs. And I think this is a very important week for Maryland coming off last week to keep the momentum going, especially because, frankly, it's going to get very tough uh, in the following week where Tuesday they will go to Newark, Delaware, and play Delaware again. But then you start spring break with three on the road against a ranked East Carolina team. Then you have a midweek against North Carolina, a midweek against Elon. And then you come back here to College Park at the end of spring break and you play a really, really good Stetson team. So I think this is going to be a big, big week, as I said, for Maryland to try and accumulate some wins. And if you can come out of it 11-4, and four, I think – I mean, that's sweeping the week again, which is tough to ask for. Um, but I think on paper, at least, Maryland's much better than both of these teams. So there's no reason they can't do it. Yeah, you hit on it. It's a tough week over spring break for the Terps, East Carolina, Elon, and UNC. And then, of course, uh, the three games against Stetson when they come back to College Park. So just a huge series. The Terps should get at least the three wins over Bryant, and they – you know, if you just look matchup to matchup, as you said, they should win all four games. Now, you don't know how things are going to play out in what essentially will be a four-game series for the Terps, but you're hoping they can get those four wins. So they have a little bit of wiggle room against East Carolina, a team that's been pretty solid this season. That'll be a good three-game series for the Terps to kind of gauge where they're at this season for an East Carolina team that, you know, is one, probably one of the 25 or 30 best teams in college baseball right now. So it'll be a good stretch for the Terps over spring break, but it starts with picking up the wins that they have to get this weekend, especially after what we talked about earlier, those two losses to Army. You know, that's another series at home. You kind of think, oh, you know, the Terps should really get two out of three, maybe sweep this one. They get one out of two. So now they get a, kind of another similar series. I think Army's a little bit of a better team than Bryant, but kind of a similar series where the Terps should come in and at least get two of three and hopefully a sweep over the Bulldogs. Well, last year when Maryland played Bryant early in the season, one game got snowed out and then it was snowing during a Sunday doubleheader and it was just – pretty miserable for everyone involved it looks like it's going to be cold this weekend so everybody bundle up come out to the park or at least try and listen uh, on the Maryland Baseball Network as always I'm excited again to see this weekend rotation for Maryland Taylor Bloom's been great Tyler Bloom's been great and Hunter Parsons was so good last week so if any of that can continue I think uh, the aspirations for this team will just be continuing to go up, up, and up. I know uh, this coaching staff always says stay off results, but the results were great last week, and they're hoping for them to be great again this week. Yeah, I think the most exciting part of the weekend is that Sunday game. It'll be Hunter Parsons 
going out there for the Terps, trying to build off of what he did last weekend on Sunday against Ball State. And it's going to be exciting to see how he builds off of it because he kind of – I talked about, you know, with him a little bit, as you heard in the interview, him kind of, you know, building up through the season after the Tennessee start, getting that midweek work against William & Mary, going four up, four down, and then having a much better start against Army and it all coming together against Ball State. So, But the one thing you don't want to see is, you know, that it all came together against Ball State, and that's his best stuff. That's what he has at his peak. You want to see him continue to develop because he's going to face better competition than Ball State and Bryant, obviously, as he, if he continues as the Terps Sunday starter. So you hope he continues to get better over this season. He can fall into that Terps rotation, which could be one of the best in the Big Ten if they keep pitching like this. So that'll pretty much do it for this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Special thanks to Hunter Parsons for joining us. As always, follow us on Twitter for updates at MDBaseballNet. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash MDBaseballNet. Look at all the content on our website at MarylandBaseballNetwork.com. And if you like what you hear on this podcast, subscribe by searching Maryland Baseball Network in the iTunes store. Once again, Thursday at 4 o'clock, Maryland will host Delaware at Bob Turtle Smith Stadium. Pre-game show will start at 3.30 on the Maryland Baseball Network. Then over the weekend, three games against the Bryant Bulldogs who will come down from Smithfield, Rhode Island, Friday at 4 o'clock, Saturday at 2, and Sunday at 1, as always, barring any weather changes. So we thank you again for joining us on the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. For my partner, Connor Newcomb, I'm Justin Galanti. So long, everyone. 